Welcome to the Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn of Houston Public Media. And I'm Eric Skelly of Rocco, River Oaks Chamber Orchestra. And this time we're talking about Rossini's La Donna del Lago, Eric, the Lady of the Lake, which, as I understand it, was the first of many operas to be based on uh, a text written by Sir Walter Scott. Right, probably the most famous of which is Lucia de Lammermoor, based on his Bride of Lammermoor. So. And this ushered in this whole era of, of sort of Scottish Highland romanticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, again, it takes us back to Lucia, another sister opera, so to speak, to, to this one. La Donna del Lago, which is not the Lady of the Lake, not to be confused with the King the Arthur, Arthur <laughs> with the hand coming out of the lake. And, and not to be confused with Dolores del Lago, the Toast of Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Completely different altogether. This debuted at the Teatro San Carlo in Naples in 1819 and revolves around these, uh, much like Lucia again, these families, the aristocratic families in Scotland. And this is at the time, it's the middle of the 16th century, the time of King James V of Scotland, right? who apparently had a, a penchant for disguising himself and going out among the people to sort of take the temperature of what people were thinking, etc. And uh, we see him doing the same thing here in the opera. The king has disguised himself as Uberto, Hubert. Yes. And apparently prior to the opera opening, though, it, it kind of backfired on him because he got taken prisoner. <laughs> <laughs> and the backstory here is that... Douglas had held the king captive for several years. And then the king had escaped, and Douglas Ran away. fled to England. <laughs> Ran away. <laughs> Get out of Scotland. While he was gone, the king took revenge on Douglas's family. Right. He's an earl. Douglas was an earl, one of the aristocrats. But and now he's come back. He's come back, and he's been given sort of shelter by Roderick, who is also uh, the leader of one of the anti-king a rebellion, factions. Yeah, yeah, a rebellion. He's the uh, the chief of the Highlanders. And because of Roderick's kindness to Douglas, Douglas will fight on behalf of Roderick. And Douglas has pledged his daughter's hand in marriage to Roderick. His daughter, Ellen. Ellen. The problem is that Ellen is in love with somebody else. She doesn't want to marry Roderick. (laughs) It always works out that way in these operas, you know? (laughs) She wants to marry Malcolm. Yes. Sung by uh, a mezzo or a contralto. Uh, One of the famed trouser roles that uh, Marilyn Horn in particular made made her own uh, in her storied career. And the situation is that Ellen is sort of despondent because she knows that Her father wants her to marry Rodrigo. She wants to marry Malcolm. And so she spends her days on the shores of Loch Katrine, this lake, brooding and being melancholy. And that's where the appellation, the Lady of the Lake, has come from. Gotcha. (laughs) And as the opera opens... There she is, is. (laughs) brooding on the lake. (laughs) And she, she sails across the lake... And she hears on the other side that there's a hunting party. She can hear the hunting horns. And she 
she's hoping that Malcolm is included in the hunting party. And so she goes to, in the hopes of seeing him. Yeah, but she doesn't. <laughs> no, she doesn't. She, she meets this stranger. Hubert. Hubert. Who is really James V. In disguise. In disguise. And he asks her for help, for shelter. And she, being the good Scottish girl that she is, says, uh, of course. Hubert, though, thinks she is quite a looker. Because she is. Because <laughs> she is. <laughs> so the scene changes to Douglas's cottage. And uh, Ellen is, is talking to Hubert and telling him that she is actually the daughter of the Earl uh, of, of Douglas, who was exiled and uh, has come back, not realizing that she's talking to James V, unfortunately. And, uh, and in fact, he says in an aside that that decision, um, he regrets the, the exile. Right. So there's, there's some softening on, on James's part toward his former captor. And it becomes apparent to everybody <laughs> that Hubert is falling for Ellen. But there is this problem then, of course, that Roderick, her father's friend, is in love with her as well. But and she admits, she admits that she's not in love with Roderick, that she's actually in love with someone else. And Hubert, of course, jumps to the entirely wrong conclusion that it could be him. <laughs> Then everybody leaves and Malcolm enters and he is happy because he has the love of Ellen. Right. Serrano, who is Douglas's servant, comes in to announce that Roderick and some of his soldiers are already in the valley there planning to, uh, to march against the king. And Douglas is really happy about Douglas, this. Douglas is happy. But Ellen is not. <laughs> and she dares to, uh, to sort of oppose her father's desires for her uh, because she's in love with somebody else. She doesn't want to marry Roderick. Right. Much to Malcolm's pleasure because yes. he's, he's hearing all this. Absolutely. But Douglas... Douglas tells her he, she has to absolutely obey him. She has to be a good daughter and do what he tells her. Exactly. So meanwhile, up in the mountains, <laughs> we have Roderick... And his troops, uh, and he is basically professing his love for Ellen. But Douglas begins to suspect that Ellen's heart has been given elsewhere. Well, her and open opposition to him was probably the first clue. <laughs> Could be. Could be. And then Malcolm arrives with his followers, and Roderick introduces himself to Malcolm, and he introduces Ellen as his consort to be. <laughs> Which Malcolm does not like hearing at all. And Ellen basically has to hold him back from just blurting out that, that she and, and he are an item. And here we have the culmination of the problem. Is you've got them all there together. All the protagonists. And they're all singing about... This one terrible situation that they're all in, or this wonderful situation that they're all in. Let's have an ensemble. <laughs> Ooh, 
So they do, and uh, the act basically ends with uh, uh, patriotism sort of giving way, and the the soldiers all are well. They're getting ready to attack. Exactly, and they have a big martial uh, chorus and ensemble, and off to war. End of Act One. End of Act One. Act Two opens. We are in a wood next to a cave. Hubert has come looking for Ellen because he wants to to try and save her from the the fighting, the battles that that he knows are coming. Ellen asks Serrano, her father's servant, where he is because she wants to see him before he goes off to fight. Then Hubert tells Ellen of his love for her, and she tells him, I'm sorry you're barking up the wrong tree. Yeah. I love somebody, but it's not you. (laughs) It's a guy called Malcolm. Right. Hubert, nevertheless, gives Ellen a gift. He gives her a ring, which he says was given to him by the king because he had saved the king's life. And at any time, if she ever needs anything, she should take the ring to the king and her wish will be granted. And all of that has been overheard by Rodrigo. By Rodrigo. We should also point out before we go any further that Hubert and Roderick are both high Rossini tenor roles. And when I say high, I mean stratospherically high. high. Uh, The Rossini tenor is kind of a type. It's a light lyric tenor with a really high upper extension and the ability to sing very, very florid music, of which, of course, Rossini was renowned and is renowned. And, um, I mean, right now we've got we've got three big superstar Rossini tenors uh, going. We've got Lawrence Brownlee, uh, Juan Diego Flores, and uh, the new guy, Javier Camarena, all are kind of vying for, you know, these roles on the international stages. Well, not even vying. I mean, there's, there's enough to go around because these operas are very popular. But they are a very specific type. Uh, you'll not hear these guys singing middle period Verdi ever <laughs> because, you know, their voices are very specifically trained for a very florid, high-flying vocal style. And that's what you're hearing from these guys throughout this opera. And in fact, in this scene, the opening scene of Act Two, both um, Rodrigo and Hubert have to hit high Cs. In fact, Hubert has to hit a high D. D. Mm-hmm. That's pretty high. It is. Mm -hmm. And yet those guys can do it. They could pop them out all night long (laughs) in many cases. So Roderick hears this conversation between Ellen and Hubert where he gives her the ring. And he is jealous. And he steps forward and he challenges (laughs) Hubert to reveal who he is. And Ellen steps in to prevent a fight. Because Rodrigo orders his men to uh, reveal themselves and to kill the stranger, to kill Hubert. Yeah. And Ellen steps forward, as you said, and she pleads with Rodrigo's men. And so Rodrigo 
decides he and Hubert will go off and they'll fight it out in a duel. And off they go, and Ellen runs off after them to try and stop it. Good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) Then we move into the interior of the cave. And Malcolm comes in, and he's looking for Ellen. But he finds only Albina, who is Ellen's servant. Servant. Mm -hmm. And then Serrano joins them and explains that Ellen has gone off to look for her father, who had been sent on a peace mission to the king, the king's palace. And Malcolm knows that she is in danger. Yeah. And he's upset about that. Almost suicidal. This obviously adds to the worry that he has that she's going to marry Roderick anyway. Right. So things aren't looking good from Malcolm's perspective. However... (laughs) <laughs> some clansmen arrive and tell him that Roderick's been killed. So at least there's one obstacle out of the way. <laughs> one down. So Malcolm runs off for the palace because he's decided that uh, if nothing else, he's going to rescue Ellen, no matter what. The next scene, we're in the palace, and Douglas is begging the king for forgiveness, not for himself, but for his daughter and for those who helped him out on the field of battle. Doesn't work, though. Nope. (laughs) No. (laughs) The king orders him imprisoned, but is a little remorseful that he has to be so severe with this guy. Because he, as we saw before, he was softening toward him a little bit. But being the king, you know, sometimes you have to do things you don't like to do. So he has Douglas led away to, uh, to be imprisoned. Ellen shows up, and she's able to gain entry into the castle, because she's got the ring. Yeah. And so she hopes that she will be able to talk to the king and save her father. Right. And... (laughs) Rodrigo, whom she doesn't know, is dead. (laughs) Right. Suddenly, in the next room, she hears the voice of Hubert. Right. And she's thinking to herself, well, I wonder what he's doing here. Guess what? He's the king. (laughs) He was the king all along. (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) Because when when Hubert comes in, Ellen begins to notice that all these courtiers are showing him a tremendous amount of deference. Deference, yes. (laughs) That's kind of a giveaway. Yes. (laughs) They are one and the same. The king, because he's in love with Ellen, decides that he's going to forgive her father. But he will not forgive Malcolm. That just sort of prolongs the agony that little bit longer. Because it's opera. (laughs) That's what we do. (laughs) However, he relents. Oh, thank God. (laughs) Which means that Ellen and Malcolm can be happy together for the rest of their days. And Ellen can sing her show-stopping aria. (laughs) The rondo finale. Pantia Fetti.
it really is a showstopper. It is quite spectacular, and you hear lots of superstar mezzos who, who specialize in this kind of thing uh, trotting it out. Cecilia Bartoli sang it a lot, Joyce Donato, uh, Frederica von Stad. It's, it's a spectacular piece of, of uh, death-defying Rossini singing, and uh, it's a great way to end the opera. And, of course, the whole thing hinges on the idea that the king is a reasonable person and that it's his kingliness mm -hmm. that enables everybody to live happily ever after. Yeah, which is it's kind of an interesting trope that you see, you know, in opera. I mean, La Clemenza di Tito, for instance. Right. Yeah. To a slightly lesser degree, Gustavo in Verdi's Masked Ball is this sort of benevolent king. We see, we see him again and again, and it's it's interesting that that trope, that, that, that archetype shows up again and again. Because this is, you know, we're, we're talking about a time when the whole idea of kingship was that this was a divine right. Right. The divine right of kings. And right. here we are in the middle of the, the 16th century, and uh, the king is ordained by God. And so he acts with great magnanimity. Except when he's in disguise and running around amongst the peasants. <laughs> Rossini's La Donna del Largo. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm St. John Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening.